Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Works with local churches sponsoring kids through education all over the world. And uh, uh, I think Kenya was, for a while, the had the highest number of kids that were sponsored through the Compassion uh, Ministry. I think it's 100,000 kids in Kenya were sponsored uh, by this organisation. And, uh, and I got involved simply because uh, a lady from Compassion came to a Churches Together meeting. Uh, she met with me and invited me to go on this trip. So um, I said yes. Um, and it was, it was interesting. It was really, it was really, really interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I have visited, I've been to South Africa before, I've travelled to Romania before, um, uh, just a few months after the, um, uh, the, the revolution in Romania we travelled. And so we've seen, have seen levels of, if you like, poverty and stuff, and obviously I've watched telly, as you've watched telly, um, but probably nothing prepared me for what I saw, and this is the 21st century, but nothing still prepared me. For what I saw, um, I want you to imagine. Imagine everybody who lives in Lambeth, and everybody who lives in Southwark, which is about half a million people, all living in Brockwell Park, and probably a bit smaller than that. But but five hundred thousand people living in a space that's not any bigger than Brockwell Park, probably smaller. And that most of them, their homes, are six foot by eight foot. So they're smaller than our creche room, probably about the size of the storeroom. And that's where most people live. I want you to imagine in that environment the rubbish that people will generate and imagine that dust carts never come. Yeah? So you're, you're generating rubbish, but there's nowhere to put it, I want you to imagine that, certainly from what I could see, there are no toilets, yeah, and the sewers are open, and um, and the weather is hot, and that will give you a little bit, if you can begin to imagine what that must be like, um, that will give you a little bit of an idea of what it was like when we visited a slum called the Mathari slums. It, it was like a place not much bigger than Brockwell Park, probably smaller, where half a million people lived. And it, it's not even the biggest slum uh, in, in Kenya. The largest slum in the world is in Kenya, which is a million people. And a slum being a an informal temporary dwelling. Yeah, I, It wasn't designed for long-term living. It was designed for short-term living. But this slum had been there since 1963. And so people will, will be born, raised, live and die in the slum. And so when I went to that, the thing I couldn't, I couldn't get over the rubbish. I couldn't get over next to the homes were just piles of rubbish. I couldn't, that was the bit that really sort of struck me. And so we visited this place um, on a couple of days, two different parts of it. I, I want you to imagine in that place the police don't go very often and that it's a hotbed of, of crime and of 
um, where many of the families are led, many of them are simply led by uh, mothers or grandmothers. Many of the other families are led by children, yeah, because the parents have died of AIDS or whatever. So you've got 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds who are responsible for the family home. You go to a place like that, and if you've not been to a place like that, and you've seen it on telly, there are no words. <laughs> there are no words to say. Yeah. And, and so I found that quite difficult. There was one day where I went to this place, and I was like, I don't even know what to say. Um, and then I want you to imagine... Being in that place and knowing Jesus. And what you discover is that Jesus really is the hope of the world. Because in the slum, Jesus was still king for many people. Yeah, people loved Jesus. People had found Jesus. People had hope in Jesus. People, God was working in the slum. Whereas I would have thought... God, why are there slums? That would have been my question. Why are there these things, God? Instead, uh, that wasn't the question. The question was, God, how is it you work in people's lives in this place? And that you meet people where God is clearly at work in their lives. I was really challenged by one boy that I met. And uh, I, I wrote down what he said. This is his description of where he lives. The slums are a hotbed of talent. One of the things you learn in the slums is about generosity. The slum is one of the hardest places to live, but also one of the best. I thank God I was born in the slums. The slums make us what we are. I will also always appreciate the slum. The good always outweighs the bad because God is here. I remember when he said that, I was like... I don't know what to say because I don't know that I could have said that. And I was I was so challenged by the fact that God. Uh, God really, really doesn't worry about material things. He really doesn't. And we sang in one of our songs. I wrote it down. We sang this word in one of our songs. We're all arms in the air. We're singing. I don't want riches or man's empty praise. And I thought, I don't want riches. Well, um, uh, you know, if I was in Mathari, I could sing, I don't want riches or man's. But here, it'd be very difficult to really sing that. So it was, it was really, it was a really interesting thing just to see some of where people lived, to see the work of compassion, which was right deep in the slum. And I think the main reason it was so successful in what it did was it was... It was churches that were based in the slum working with people in the slum and that those churches had been there for years. We visited two projects that had been there for 20, 20 odd years each. They'd been there working and uh, it was quite incredible. It was quite an incredible um, experience. And so um, whilst I was there, I was like we did all these visits into different places um, and I was I was partly there obviously because I'd been asked. Uh, I didn't know why I, why I was going. Um, actually, somebody brought a word for me just before uh, I, I left, really last Sunday at the end of the meeting about don't simply go to learn. I mean, you've got something to give. 
And uh, and when you go to a place like that, you think, well, what 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 have I got? What, what have I got to give? But what I found myself doing a lot was practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I found myself prophesying over people and praying for them, bringing words of encouragement. And those were people who 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 the project was working with, people who were leading the projects, and some of the other pastors that I went with. So it was it was encouraging from that from that kind of uh, perspective. But it was also I just came away and I said, God, I need to find some time. The way I do big things, yeah, just so you know, this is how I do big things. When I need to go, oh, God, I don't fully, don't really know what I think. And I certainly don't know what I'm going to do. The way I do that is I will set aside some time and I will pray and I'll read the Bible. And I might talk to a few people, but I'll do lots of praying and I'll be doing lots of reading the Bible. And I, I think I have to do that around this whole area of, of mission and missions and stuff that goes on abroad because I don't yet have a settled conviction as to what what should we do. Yeah? It's very easy to respond to need. Yeah? And there it's really easy to respond to need. Sometimes when you respond to need, you don't help. You hinder. And um, and so I'm like, God, what is it that you want us to do? What is it for Owen? What is it for Beacon? What is it for us? So I'm going. I'm going to go through that process. I haven't gone there yet. I just got back, but I will go through that process. So just so you know, um, I've I've said more about my trip in my um, in my update. If you ever read that, it, the other thing that was interesting was um, I, I also saw that where the church can help, but also where the local government or the government can help. And um, because what I described about the rubbish, in the UK that wouldn't happen because I pay council tax. And council tax means the local government have got money to come and clear all the rubbish and sort it all out and and make all of that work. Uh, Here, the sewage thing wouldn't happen because there there are... companies that sort all of that out. Uh, one of their biggest challenges was fires in homes because of poorly installed electricity. That was a massive challenge that they faced. And that wouldn't happen here because they wouldn't allow it. You couldn't do that. And so there are things that government need to do. And there are things that the church can do to help. And, and the church isn't there to provide sort the electricity. It's, but the government is there to do that. So it was really interesting seeing... Um, those different things. Um, the other interesting thing about Nairobi, the city, is there are three million permanent people that live in that city. Half of them live in slums. Half of them live in slums. And then because of the way, I suppose, commuting works, at sometimes in any given day, there might be four million people in the city because of work. Um, now, Nairobi actually has some really wealthy parts and some really nice parts and all that kind of stuff. It's almost like next door. And uh, <coughs> anyway, so those are just just some of my really early thoughts. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I've said that. Um, and as I said, whilst I was there, I was practicing, not deliberately. I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, I'll do this. But I, was, I found myself practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit which is what we have been looking at and what we really need as a church and what people need. They need the Holy Spirit uh, to be at work in their lives and we need to be open. And it may be that we'll have time at the end to 
even do as John was encouraging us to do earlier when he said, you know, just let's just be open to are there areas in our life that we need to just give over to God, that we need to open up to God and that God wants to unlock because God wants to pour more into you than you have. And it's whether or not sometimes whether there are blockages there that are sometimes created by ourselves. Okay, I'm just going to pray and then we'll get into this. Father, uh, I want to thank you for uh, that experience I had last week. Uh, Thank you for the way you spoke in so many different situations. Uh, Thank you for the work of compassion and others. Thank you for those churches. Thank you for those pastors I met. Thank you for those young people uh, that I met who had such joy and hope for the future. Uh, And I pray, God, that you would continue such a great work. Uh, And Lord, I don't know how, but there must come a day when that kind of thing is going to be eradicated. That that people don't need to live like that. There are other ways. Uh, But Father, I do pray that uh, as it continues, there'll be many, many more people that will testify to your goodness. That the slums are indeed a hotbed of talent. Uh, That people can find generosity and other great things common grace there uh, in and amongst those difficult conditions. So Father, I pray that you would help us, um, even in our condition, our situation, that we would always seek to have a right perspective on where we live and what you do and what you don't do and how much you love us and how much you are wanting us to have such a pure relationship with you that's not dependent or determined by our natural resources, but very much determined by faith in Jesus and all that you've done. So would you continue to be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, um, we're going through this series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and the first part of that. And we looked at Paul's desire that people would not be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit, but they would understand what those gifts are and that they will understand that those gifts are available for the common good, that they're the good of the church, but also for the good of mankind, that God would speak. And last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit distributed gifts among the body. The Bible talks about the church as the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of God, these different descriptions describing the people of God. And when it uses those descriptions, it's deliberately making us into one thing rather than many, many, lots of different things. Uh, That kind of many, many, lots of different things is a very, um, it's a way that we naturally think in our world, but that's not how God sees us. It's not that God doesn't see you as an individual, but he sees you as part of the people. Um, Clearly the Bible names individuals, but ultimately God was for a people. He was coming to to bless a people. He was going to bless the nations of the world through a people that he had chosen. And we're part of that people and we're part of the outworking of that promise of blessing. And it's it's for us as a people, not just as individuals. And so we looked at that a little bit last week. And I encouraged you in groups to begin to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that, and that we wouldn't be reticent to do that. We wouldn't be, oh, no, we can't really say. But actually we would say, no, I believe God has given me this. and Other people could affirm that and confirm it and that we would begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit and that we would operate to such a degree that it was normal and easy for us to do so 
If you think about um, uh, uh, one of the interesting things uh, that happened while I was away is I, I met a guy there, a pastor called uh, Stuart. Stuart, well, I think Aldred his name was. Never met him before. Turns out his dad was the uh, England rugby coach between in the late 90s and early 2000s. And in fact, he was the coach. He was one of the coaches that went with them when they won the World Cup. He apparently is attributed to training and finding Johnny Wilkinson, who became probably the, the best, one of the best English rugby players and scored the winning kick in the World Cup final. And, and this guy's father did, did all of those things. And he's, he's apparently written a book called um, Performing Under Pressure. Performing Under Pressure. I've never read it. I just heard about it the other day. But what it made me think was this. Um, I don't know how many of you watch rugby. How many of you ever watch rugby? No, you don't. Forgive me if you don't watch rugby. You don't need to watch rugby. Um, but I remember watching the Rugby World Cup final. And I was at home and the girls, Pauline was there with the girls. And they were like just busying themselves around. And I'm like really engrossed in this. And what happened in the last minute of the final, the World Cup final, the ball comes out to Johnny Wilkinson and he kicks. He, he kicks a winning goal. Yeah, so they're losing. It's the last few seconds. He kicks the goal. And it's almost like as the ball goes over, uh, the whistle goes. And when you watch it, you just think, oh, my goodness, wow, it's amazing that it happened. Or you could almost think, gosh, it was lucky that they got it back to him. But you realise that for a Johnny Wilkinson, that moment was not made out of luck. Yeah, He had practised and practised and practised and practised so much. So in that moment, he was very confident in what he was trying to do. Yeah, it wasn't a case of oh, I really, oh, I really hope it's going to happen. No, when it came, it's almost like he's ready. He's ready. Come on. He knew what was happening. Why? Because he had kicked that ball over that over that uh, goal so many times. It was second nature to him. And I, I was reminded of the story of Elijah when Elijah ends up on Mount Carmel and he's in a big he's in a big moment with the prophets of Baal and they're having a big kind of who's whose God is the real God, when Elijah was in that moment, he wasn't crossing his fingers, hopeful that God would turn up. He wasn't like that at all. Elijah had proved secretly and privately that God was real and faithful. So he knew when he got to that moment, God was going to show. Yeah. And if you hear his prayer, it's almost like, now God, show me. Now God. Just just do your thing. Yeah. And he knew that was happening. Yeah. Because he would he had so, uh, I suppose, uh, developed his faith where he knew he just knew. Well, when I think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I think about us, I think, wouldn't it be great? If for us, we became so at ease and familiar with the gifts that we were operating in them without even thinking. It wasn't like, oh, this week I did this. Oh, last week I did that. Oh, I'm not sure. No, no, but it would just come because it's only in moments of pressure or testing or real opportune moments that if you have spent enough time, it comes to you immediately. 
You know when you're sometimes in a moment and you go, oh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, You know we've all been there, oh, I didn't know what to say, I just didn't have anything to say. Let me challenge you, let me encourage you. You spend enough time with the Holy Spirit, you spend enough time uh, cultivating the gifts, you will know what to say. You will know what to say in those moments. Because, uh, I mean, Jesus even says, doesn't he? He says to the disciples, don't worry about what you're saying because, because, because I will speak through you. That happens when you are so sensitive to the Spirit. You know what to say. You're not worried about what to say. You're not thinking, oh, I didn't know how to respond. And I really want us to get to the place where we are that comfortable. We are that at ease with the gifts that you're bringing words of knowledge. You're bringing tongues. You're bringing an encouragement. And it's just happening. And, and you're not you're not. It's not the environment that's shaping it. You're able to shape the environment that you're in. And that's where I'd love us to get to. So we've been looking at these for the last couple of weeks here. We're doing the gifts. And these ones are listed in Romans 12. So let me just read these few verses. Romans 12 verse 3 says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So just a few things for us to note from this passage. Yeah. And and it's interesting how it begins with. Um, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. There is a real need around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And around any kind of gifts or things that maybe separate people out and make people look different, there is a real need for humility. There is a real need for humility. Why do you think that is? One of the dangers of gifts, you know, let's say I have a big gift. Yeah, let's say, you know, you know, people who have like massive gifts. I remember uh, when we were growing up and, and we used to go to the Downs Bible Week. And there was a guy that used to come over from the States called C.J. Mahaney. And he used to preach. And he was only in his mid-twenties. But he was like the best and the funniest preacher back then. And he then changed a bit, actually, that I'd ever heard. Yeah, He was like absolutely hilarious. And Pauline used to love him. And everyone loved him. And he had this big gift. Yeah, He had this big gift, which meant that lots of people, lots of the time, would tell him how great he was. Yeah, because he just had that kind of gift. And this kind of verse is written to someone like him and to me, but definitely to someone like him. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because it's really, really easy when people tell you how great you are 
to begin to think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's really easy. It's, it's, like, it's like the natural temptation. The natural temptation to you giving me lots and lots of affirmation. I'm not, we don't necessarily have these problems here, but um, because we don't, I don't have those sort of gifts. But, but, and I don't have that problem with doing. <laughs> but the natural, uh, the, a natural temptation to when you go around telling people how great they are, is they begin to think they're great. Yeah, it's natural. You begin to think, oh, you know, it's like they would say, you believe your own press. Yeah, you, be, you begin to believe things about yourself. You know, that remember the tragic story of Tiger Woods and he was married and it all looked really great. But actually, Tiger Woods was messing about with loads and loads of women. And it was almost like he'd lost a sense of the real world. Yeah, he began to believe things about himself that just weren't true. So the Bible says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, which means you're not meant to be a downer on yourself. Oh, I'm really rubbish at everything. Yeah, you're not meant to go, do you know what? I'm great. Neither are you meant to go, oh, I'm really rubbish at everything. I can't do anything. You think of yourself with sober judgment. You recognize that you have strengths and you recognize that you have weaknesses and that God uses both of those to make you who you are. You recognize that your experiences are real things that God uses and that any gift that you may have, it comes from him anyway. That your gift is not something that you've like, well, yeah, I may have had a little gift, but I've made it. No, you haven't made it a big thing. If you have a big gift, it's because God's given you a big gift. Yeah. And you need to recognize that because then you realize, oh, God gave me this. It wasn't like that. I, I sort of found it. God gave me this. Don't think of yourself more highly than you but rather consider yourself with sober judgment. And as you do that, you won't have false expectations about what you might achieve. Yeah. But neither will you have no expectations. You need to have real expectations about what God has for you and what God wants for you. But it's with sober judgment in accordance with the faith. Faith is the thing that you operate your gifts in. Yeah. If you operate your gifts outside of faith, there's a slight danger there. Yeah. If you just do it humanly, there's a danger there. Operate according to faith. Yeah. God has given me this gift. It's according to faith that I operate it. And by operating gifts according to faith, actually, I take out any kind of person. It's not my it's not my ability. It's not my responsibility either. If you're a gifted evangelist and you operate out of faith, you won't be thinking to yourself, when people don't respond to your calls, oh my goodness, what have I done? Oh, I need to find some new ways. No, you won't think that. You'll realise it's a faith thing, that God needs to do something in you and that He, out of that he can use you. So there is a great need for humility. And the, the, the converse of that, or the reason that that's there, the need for humility, is because of the danger of pride. Yeah, Pride and humility, it's almost like they're opposites. Yeah. Pride and humility. There's a real danger of pride. There's a danger that I will think of myself more highly than I ought. I might start to define myself by the gifts that you see in me. I begin to think of myself like that. And without even realizing it, I think of myself more highly than I think of you. And I don't even realize it. There is a danger of pride. And the problem with pride, as I said, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, God opposes proud people. He is not indifferent to them. He opposes them. And with pride, the kind of pride we're talking about, where we begin to big ourselves up, that kind of pride 
God doesn't work with that. Ultimately, God doesn't, doesn't work with that. And in the end, that always leads to unfruitfulness. Yeah? Better to be humble, better to stand back, better to, better to wait and let God do his work. So there is a great need for, hum- for humility when it comes to the gifts. There is a danger of pride. There is a need for faith. There's a need for faith. And the, and the reason I think it's really helpful that it's there is sometimes our gifts appear so natural, we don't recognise the need for faith to operate in them. We just do them. Yeah? But there is a need for faith. And faith is that ability to trust God with the gifts that he has given you. So if you really believe God has given you a gift, and, and, and you're, you're praying into that, Faith means, God, I'm going to trust that if you've given me this gift, you will provide me the place to exercise this gift. So often we can get frustrated, and I've met people get frustrated because they feel God has given them a gift and the church isn't allowing them to operate that gift. My gift is not being recognised in this church, so what should I do? Actually, this is about faith. Oh, goodness, my phone's going. Don't answer me, you can just hang on to it. It's disturbing me. Yeah, so, you're, so God gives you a, a gift, but you do need faith. And you need faith to trust him. And real faith means there comes a point where you think, do you know what? I don't know whether this gift will ever really manifest itself in the way that I think. But do you know what? That's okay. Because I'm trusting God for the gift. If God really wants me to use that gift, he'll make a way for me to use that gift. I won't make my own way. I won't go, well, you don't recognise it there? I'll go here where they do recognise it. That's not how how it works. Because sometimes that lack of recognition is all about maturity. It's all about growing. It's all about, I need to be in a place where if people don't recognise your gift yet, um, it's not because you're not gifted. It just might mean it needs to grow a bit more. But you do need to have this. You do need to know this. Other people will recognise the gifts that God has given you. Yeah, There'll be very few people where God gifts them and no one else recognises it. So if I stood up here and said, look, I feel I'm gifted in these things, and all of you are really embarrassed, and you think, we don't think that at all. Has no one ever spoken to you? Singing is not the thing? Has no one ever said that to you? No, I'm, I, God has gifted me. No, gift, gifts are waived. They're recognised. It's not just you. It's not just you and God. It's you, God, and everybody else, because you're part of the body. Yeah? God didn't make you a hand and not tell anyone else. Yeah, God didn't make you the head and no one else knows that. It's a body. Yeah, I know that's my hand. That's not my foot. That's my hand. I know that. So our gifts are things that are recognised and we operate them in faith and we trust God with the gift. We trust God with the gift that if God has this gift, if he's given me this gift, if he's put this heart in me, he will find that way of bringing that out. I will not need to make that happen to manufacture it, to strategically put myself in a place where suddenly, right, okay, here I am. God does do that. God opens doors. He really does. And then when he, when he opens doors, you know it's him, yeah? And it's not you. And you're not going, right, you know, oh, yeah, I put myself, yeah, I knew that door was opening and I, no. God really does open doors. God really does make a way for people and their gifts. So there is a need for faith. And faith is important because it's faith is the thing that means you're going to wait for him to do that. 
and you're going to trust him and you're not going to put the onus of the expression of your gift onto someone else. When will they recognize my gifts so that I might? Op- no, you, you're not going to do that. You're going to say, God, you've spoken about this in so many different ways. I'm going to trust you for this. And I'm going to trust that if this is you in me, that you will make a way through. That's how we do it. And that's how we should encourage one another. And the reason that's important is because we're a body. We're all on the same side. Yeah. My left and right hand, they're not in competition with one another. Yeah. They don't fight. Yeah. Uh, I use my right more, but my left, he he doesn't get jealous. He doesn't go. He doesn't refuse to be used because he's not used as much. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. We're a body. God has gifted us differently. And we must understand that we have different gifts. And and we need to learn to appreciate the gifts that we have and the gifts that others have. And if you recognize gifts are around faith, you, you use your gifts according to the faith that you have, then you can go away from thinking, well, he's just really gifted. I'm not gifted at all. It's according to the faith. So, God, if I want greater gift, I pray for more faith. Yeah? If you want to increase your gift, increase your faith. That's how you do it. You don't increase your gift simply by doing stuff. You increase it by faith. So there's one body. We're all on the same side. We've got gifts that function and complement one another. And gifts are distributed by grace. Yeah, it's not performance or skill or effort or background. Now, please don't mishear me. Remember, I said at the beginning that about becoming so easy and comfortable with the gifts that you can function in them very naturally in situations under pressure, situations that are really appropriate. You can the gifts are there because you become so comfortable with that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We do need to do that. We do need to get to that stage. But they are grace gifts that God has given us. All our gifts are grace gifts. So here in this passage is some of these gifts. I'm just going to run through them. Most of them we've done, although some of them might be new. Um, This passage talks about prophesying according to your faith. Yeah. So when you prophesy, there's a faith thing there as well. It's not just I'm going to bring a word. It's according to the faith that God has put in me to speak out. I'm going to speak out. If your gift is serving, then please serve. Yeah. If your gift is serving... Don't try and do other things because you think, well, no one really recognizes people who serve. So I want to do the things that people see. Yeah, I want to do this. Oh, oh, you want me to put the chairs out? Then I can do it. Okay, I'll put the chairs out in order. If your gift is serving, and remember, when I think about the gifts, I'm talking about that divine enablement that means I can do this thing. It's easy for me and it's not a big pressure on me. Yeah, so I could do it. I could do it like every week if I had to. I could do I know I could. Whereas for some people, it'd be more like it'd be more difficult for them. Maybe the grace isn't there to do it. But if it's serving, serve. And I I don't mean to uh, sort of just pick him out, but I know Simi here has just started to run the welcome team. Is that right, Simi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's really interesting because one of the reasons that's happened is, is, is Jen said to me in the office, Simi is always coming up to me saying, when, I, when am I on the road trip? <laughs> yeah? Are we hearing that? Simi is going up to Jen and saying, when am I on the road trip? When's the new roads are coming out? When am I on it? And she said he's so keen. Maybe, maybe there's a gift there. The ability to serve and to help. 
And so we went, I, do you know, if he's that keen, <laughs> if he's really that keen, we can do this. We can, we can, we can release people. To say. But it's true. So, so it, it was noticeable. She said he's, he's always coming up and asking me about serving. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, then teach. But please don't don't misunderstand what that's saying. That's not simply saying it's not for you to then go. <clears throat> Owen, did you read that? I have a gift of teaching. When are those opportunities being given to me? Do you know what? Your life can be teaching. Yeah, every conversation you have, you can teach. Yeah, you you can do that. I'm a tiny bit like that. I'm always trying to, you know, and, and my girls and Paulie in the end is oh. Because I'm always bringing something out. And in fact, it was, I think, two weekends. We had a weekend away, two or three times ago, I can't remember. But we had some people there serving us. And the guy said to me, he said, oh, he said, the thing I've noticed about you, the thing I've noticed about you, is you use every opportunity just to teach something. And I hadn't thought that. Yeah. He said, you're always saying, oh, this is why that, this is why that. If your gift is teaching, then teach. Explain things to people in a way that they understand. Yeah? And you can do that at work, you can do that at home, you, you can do that wherever. It, it's not only in one place. Well, unless I do it there, I mean, no, you can do it anywhere. You need to help people. God has given some of us much knowledge. Yeah? And He's given us an ability to teach. And you know what? When we used to do Alpha in my old church, and Phil and I used to help run the Alpha course there, what we discovered was we had been well taught. Because we would run groups of people who had no idea about God, and then other people whose ideas about God were so way out, we'd be going, oh my goodness, I can help here. No, no, yeah, no, those thoughts, let's just collect those, and let's just look at what the Bible actually says. If you have a gift to teach, teach. If you have a gift of encouragement, then encourage. Don't withhold your gift. Don't withhold your gift because like you're, you're annoyed or something's upset you or you can be very into that. If you have a gift of encouragement, encourage people. Use the gift that God has given you. Because as you use your gift, other people will use their gifts. And everyone then is blessed. If you have the gift of giving, give generously, it says. Give generously. And that means you don't go, okay, right, 10% here, five tithes, offerings, 3.2. No, give generously. Yeah, give generously. If you've got that gift, you know you've got that gift, give generously. Yeah, and that's what the Bible, I think, really teaches on giving. It's, it's, the, it's the gift of generosity. It's the gift of I give what I can rather than I give, well, I'm just going to give this percentage. I've got this, but I'm going to give this. Rick Warren, who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, at the end of, I think it's at the end, I can't remember if it's at the end of the book or another book, he said, he said, in the end, you know the book Purpose Driven Life? He said, in the end, I made enough money to buy myself a small island. But it's not about me. It's about others. So he did that reverse time. He lived off of 10% of what he earned and he gave 90% of what he earned. He stopped pulling a salary from the church. In a sense, he was paying the church to work for them. 
if you have a gift of generosity, give generously. Use the gift that God has given you. If you have the gift of leadership, do it diligently. Yeah? Don't, don't, don't be casual about it. it it's, leadership is serious. If you've ever seen the film or the TV series, The Band of Brothers, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful TV series, uh, one of the things that you see is poor leadership costs lives. Poor leadership costs lives. People were led into places where they died because the leadership was wrong. Poor leadership costs lives. And one of the things I loved about when I was in Kenya was when I met all the pastors and the leaders of the projects. And I saw that over the years, the thousands of people they helped by good leadership, by united leadership, by humble leadership, by servant leadership. They saved thousands of lives. Thousands of lives are saved when you have humble, sacrificial, servant, diligent leadership. Lead like that. Don't lead to be in charge. Well, I think I'm in charge here. Don't lead to be in charge. Don't lead just to get your way. Don't lead just to do your thing. I think one of the most amazing things, if it happened, it would never happen to us because we're not American, but, but I'm sure when Barack Obama entered the White House for the first time as president, and that part of him must have thought, wow, I'm the most powerful man. Yeah, And then very quickly he would have discovered, Mr. President, you can't do that. Mr. President, no, and Mr. President, you need Mr. President. In the end, he had very little room for manoeuvring. There was no room to express himself as the president. This wasn't about Barack Obama being, hey, I'm the man. It wasn't that at all. There were so many things that he had to do. No, you can't, Mr. President, you can't. Mr. President, you need to now say this. I need to say, yeah, you need to say that, Mr. President. There were so many things. Because leadership is not about doing your thing. And servant Christian leadership is about doing God's thing. Jesus said, I come to serve, not to be served. Now, that is really weird and radical. I come to serve, not to be served. But kings are served. And this king came to serve. So if you're going to lead, do it diligently. Do it for the good of others. Don't use, use it for, for other things. If you're going to show mercy, do it cheerfully. When I used to work for the CPS, and I worked up at the Old Bailey um, for many years, and I was, I was based on the third floor where you had all the CPS reps and stuff, and you had all the, all the senior prosecuting counsel there, and we had these big offices. There was a lady that used to come to clean, and her name was Santa. She was an Italian lady. And uh, I always found it funny because she was a cleaner. That was what she did. But she used to hate cleaning. <laughs> really, I was like...
You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.